Wisdom with Scott Allen. Hello, I am your host, Scott Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. If the topic is leadership, I'm in. I've spent more than 20 years in the field teaching, learning, writing, and questioning. When I'm not working on Phrenesis, I travel, delivering keynotes, working with individuals and teams, and helping people from organizations across industries become better leaders. Want to learn more? Visit me at scottjallen.net. Phrenesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership. We explore relevant topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. Listen Notes lists Phrenesis in the top 3% of podcasts worldwide. Phrenesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, ILA brings together those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge, and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. Finally, if you enjoy Phrenesis, please subscribe to stay current on our weekly episodes. Finally, if you enjoy Phrenesis, please subscribe to stay current on our weekly episodes. If you find an episode that resonates, please share it with your colleagues and friends. And if you want more content, subscribe to my newsletter, The Leader's Edge. The link is in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. And now, here's today's show. Okay, everyone. Welcome to the Phrenesis Podcast, wherever you are in the world. Today, I have Minka Chen, MD, and she is a Chinese immigrant grateful to be living and working in Treaty 1 territory in the homeland of the Métis Nation, currently known as Winnipeg, in Turtle Island, currently known as Canada. A pediatrics clinician educator at the University of Manitoba, her scholarship focuses on leadership, education, and social justice in the health professions. She is the inaugural co-director, Office of Leadership Education, Rady Faculty of Health Sciences, where she looks at leadership education across the educational continuum in the five health colleges, as well as the inaugural Equity, Diversity, Inclusivity, and Social Justice Lead for the Department of Pediatrics and Child Health. She is also the current chair of the San Okandu, a multinational community of practice focused on health leadership education with an emphasis on learners. And we're going to put a link to that in the show notes. Minka, I am so grateful for your time today. I said to you before we started to record, at least here in the United States, I can't think of a more difficult profession to lead in than healthcare. Now, maybe if I'm running a nuclear factory or if there's some type of conflict happening somewhere in the world, but healthcare, by gosh, the the 24-7 nature of of the work, the type of work that's happening, the change, the regulation, just so many different dynamics. I've kind of come across three or four different physicians that I've met in my time who are passionate about this topic. So I'm so excited to speak with you today because I have great respect for your work, helping individuals be better prepared to serve in these really complex roles. Now, before we jump into that, though, Tell us a little bit more about you. What do listeners need to know about you as an individual? Thanks, Scott. So I'm a, uh, as mentioned, I immigrated here when I was seven, uh, born to parents from Hong Kong and China, and really privileged, actually, because they're both educated and they were bilingual. So they both spoke English. My pronouns are she and her. I'm 
cisgender, and I'm married to a community a GI and hepatologist. So two children. So a lot of really part of my wealth and uh, happiness is really tied into that, to my family, really part of my privilege. And I think I work in the space to really acknowledge my biases. I'm trying to always learn to use my privilege wisely and really acting to figure out what the truth is and working to reconcile, you know, both past and current harms uh, with the original peoples of uh, this land, as well with uh, other oppressed groups. And I think for me, leadership education is one of the ways forward in this journey. Personally, some other loves. Um, I love Pilates. Travel prior to the pandemic was a big part of uh, personal and family joy. And uh, I love most genres uh, in literature. So um, appreciate some time to uh, do all those things. You're a reader and a traveler. What would be a couple of your favorite places to visit in the world? If you, you could, mean going forward or in the past? Yeah, well, I, I think maybe a place that you've been that you just fell in love with. Does anything come to mind? I've been to many parts. Uh, I actually spent time in Singapore and Trinidad, actually born in England, of course, Hong Kong and China. And I think all parts are uh, very beautiful. Certainly, uh, the family bucket list has been to different places uh, in Europe. I think personally, I'd love to be able to visit Africa, India, mm. and also uh, uh, get to know the uh, country of my parents' uh, heritage. And um, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. We have in my family a, a shared passion for travel. And so we have this we have this year set up moving forth that... I hope it can happen. I hope there isn't like something after Omicron. There isn't, yeah. there isn't any other letters, is there? It's pretty much taken <laughs> care of now, isn't it? Well, uh, let's hope it uh, it settles in terms of severity of illness and uh, infectivity. That's for sure. And I mean, travel is so wonderful, right? Because that's how you learn about other parts of the world, or at yep. least how I have. And and also, you know, in this context, just learning about one's own history can be incredibly powerful. So tell me about this, this shared passion that we have for leadership. I do some work at the Cleveland Clinic here in Northeast Ohio. Actually, I'll be with a group of anesthesiology residents tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I was with some individuals online today on presentation skills. So I did that work with them from the Cleveland Clinic. I started my career in healthcare, really helping doing leadership education and helping in, in the case of the context of this healthcare facility, our nurse managers or actually our charge nurses who moved into nurse manager roles or nurse managers who are moving into director roles, helping them be more successful when serving in these really complex roles. Because as you know, you become a director and they hand you the P&L and share your quality scores. And maybe you are told that this faction of people doesn't like this faction and, you know, increase your press gainies. <laughs> off you go. And off you go. <laughs> and so yes. I have yeah. so much respect for, for how you're thinking about leadership in the context of healthcare, because it's not easy work. It's a challenging context. Yeah, certainly very uh, complex. And of course, over the pandemic, you'd argue that it's been chaotic. So I came to, you know, my love of leadership really about thinking about the importance of understanding 
what was necessary for each person to be their best possible self. Hmm. So that might be, you know, you talked about successful. I think each person might have a different, you know, word or metric for what that looks like. And then I think more recently, you know, in the last decade, it's really about this idea of having true belonging and dignity Hmm. and that that's the starting point uh, about to get to our best self. So the way I think about it as I work, you know, and the and the core of that is really the space of leadership education and then advocacy for social justice. And I mm-hmm. I I feel like I work in that joint space. You know, it might be about mentorship and sponsorship and coaching. And, you know, if I think about the work at the level of, you know, sort of personal or interpersonal team levels, might be listening to diverse voices, you know, especially those outside of our typical circle, seeking or giving feedback might be another uh, area. And then it's about understanding change, Mm. how you can build coalitions and networks. When I think about it at the organizational level or community, and of course, the system level, certainly been an interesting and really a lifelong uh, learning journey. Most importantly, having a lot of fun. Talk to me about because you've been building this from the ground up, correct? So yes. how do you even begin that work? I mean, it sounds like you're very clear on, okay, here's what I'm trying to build and create and and why I'm doing what I'm doing, why this work is important. But talk about your path, because I know there's listeners that maybe have functional expertise like medicine or engineering or business and marketing, but now they're in in a different role and they're now, uh, others are in their care, quote unquote. <laughs> There's eyeballs looking at them for co-creation and, and, and direction. And where did you start when you began building? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, it's fascinating that you mentioned that because I think actually what we need to do is be better at co-creating. Mm. that, you know, working at this together. I think one of the things is being willing to try it out and find people. I've been really fortunate to have incredible networks and that Mm. I was able to find people who had similar ideas or interests, but yet could bring very different perspectives to the table to come Mm. up with something that I couldn't even have imagined. And I think it's important to do this work in all spheres of possible influence. You know, really everywhere you look, one could influence another or oneself for that matter Mm -hmm. to be our best possible self, right? And what might that look like? I would certainly say in the early phases of starting some of my work and thinking, it really was at the more individual level. And so you know, working on developing, you know, mentorship programs, you know, talking about how to uh, seek and give uh, meaningful feedback uh, was sort of, you know, areas that I would focus attention. And then really thinking about what might be some times or groups who might benefit this more. And so I think about times of transition, In my case, I do pediatrics and uh, I spent 
a significant part of my time with residency education. And so residents transition, for example, to be a senior resident where they're responsible for a team. So I saw that as a key point, for example, or when they became uh, chief resident, you know, the more senior with some leadership and managerial roles as chief resident, uh, as it's called here currently, those would be other time points in terms of when some leadership development would be particularly important. And then last but not least, really thinking about how different groups might have different needs if, you know, going back to this concept of belonging, if you don't feel that you belong, you're part of an oppressed group, that history may mean that what you need from a mentor, from a sponsor, coach, or your your teachers might be very different. And how do we develop something that's going to meet the needs for those individuals and those groups? I don't think it's one size fits all by any means, but really starting to think about what that might look like. Well, it's so interesting that I could, I mean, the the timing, that's just brilliant. Yes, because they, it's like a Hey, you're in charge now, or you're as more of a senior leader in this. In whether it's formal or informal, are we really helping you understand what leadership is? Because you can be practicing this every day, right. day after day. Yeah, and and I love what you said about the belonging and how how individuals have different needs. How do you help some of the students even begin to identify what their needs might be? Have you explored that work? I think it's still early days. And I really look to, in this case, you know, diverse perspectives, actually asking students individually or as in groups, being very transparent about the importance of of having these conversations. How might we do better in terms of when I seek feedback is how might I have made, you know, helped to create a more welcoming learning and work environment, for example, mm. really s- deliberately seeking out that feedback and anticipating some of those situations that we know uh, are difficult in, in healthcare, you yeah. know, where conflicts may arise and anticipating and, and actually having very open, safe spaces to have those dialogues. I think that's where I've been starting in terms of my work as a cl- clinical supervisor on the day-to-day aspect, as well as more deliberately in terms of curriculum development and other programming that one might get involved with. At the beginning of my PhD program, we wrote a personal narrative. Mm -hmm. And it was just this wonderful opportunity to kind of situate myself in this work, whatever that meant, right? I didn't even understand that phrase at the time, (laughs) you know, the work. I was like, what work? You know, and it you, involves Scott, you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like you said, like you said, it doesn't end. <laughs> yeah. Such a wonderful opportunity to situate someone in their own space as a learner, as a leader, as a, a resident, as a student, whatever it is, mm-hmm. to then help them become more clear with what they want to explore and what they think they need to work on, what they want to develop. It's just a great place to begin and it's a great place and and great way to be thinking about it. Yeah, and I think we have that ability, capability to really influence that in so many different ways. So 
I think that everybody has the capacity for this work, so to speak. And I think that is something that we need to nurture, find out about, be curious and really explore. Because as we said earlier, if we can co-create together, we will find the solutions, um, whatever the problem might be, certainly within health, but I think more broadly, you know, it's both health, healthcare, you know, our community, and of course, like, you know, the planetary uh, health issues that we need to think about uh, to make sure that we're sustainable. Those are all going to need to be done, not within silos, but collectively. And so we all have this capacity. And then we all have capacity in my world of education. We all have capacity as teachers to support that. And so educating faculty, how to both develop their own personal skills, but to be able to support, nurture, mentor others, be it learners or peers, I think is incredibly important and a a big part of this work. Yep. Talk some more about your passion. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, so please rephrase this if it's, if I'm not stating this correctly, but at least how I heard parts of what you said in the beginning was, look, you know, we're, we're doing this work so that we can foster a sense of belonging among people and increase equity so that more people can have access to become whatever it is in this world they want to become. Would you talk a little bit about how you tapped into that passion? What in your lived experience has drawn you to to that purpose? I think it's so it is complex in terms of how we get to each stage of our journey, right? And mm. what the influences are. So much is both uh, work, home, family, friends, but also societal. I think at the end of the day, cur- my current space is that it's really hard to be well if you never felt welcome. Mm. And so that for me is that starting point. And I think it actually took me a long time to truly recognize some facets, both in my own, you know, perhaps personal experience, like where I I have lots of privilege. And then there are some areas where I have less privilege. And while we want to, uh, you know, and it's important to be equity seeking and, and really respect diverse voices, it can be hard to do. You may not even realize who's not at the table or for that matter, the circle. Many people won't come to a table, but perhaps to a talking circle uh, as an an example. And so just, you know, coming to be aware of that and asking questions, being curious and really listening with intent and really thinking carefully about what the impact might be. Mm. So I, I think I'm really learning from others and that it's okay when I have a different conceptualization of a word, I actually ask way more questions than I ever used to. Mm. Because the word that you might use, I might interpret differently. And so I start going down some assumptions, right? And so now actually asking, uh, you know, share with me what that what does that actually mean to you has actually helped me to really learn and develop in uh, in that work to be more supportive and welcoming. I love that phrasing. It's hard to be well if you don't feel welcome. 
Mm-hmm. Did you just make that up on the spot? That's pretty incredible. Well, I've used it before. I've not Google searched whether I read it before, but uh, I did have somebody comment about that. Yeah, I have variations of it. And, you know, that speaks to sort of the, and it's, again, you know, speaking of language is that so many of us are doing very similar work. We call it different things. It might be civility. Yes. Uh, There's movements around kindness in healthcare, for example, Maybe leadership development, which is part of the space I work. It is in equity, diversity, and inclusivity work, or I know in the U.S. you call it DEI in terms yeah. of disordering. And I think also, but those who work and uh, and talk about burnout and well-being, we're all talking about the same things. We emphasize different areas, but there's a huge overlap. And it'd be great even within that scope for us to start having conversations. And I try to, sometimes I have to be careful because there's a limited amount of time, but when we can join some other conversations and hear about how other groups are talking similar things, it's really enriching, can be uh, great opportunities for further collaboration and doing some good work. I absolutely agree. Back to kind of the, it's hard to be well if if you aren't welcome. I had a conversation with three guests. It was all about, the, the episode was titled Whiteness and Leadership Theorizing. Mm. Of course, you know, a lot of these, of and, and again, as I've had conversations with individuals in indigenous populations from Canada and New Zealand, as I've had conversations with with women who are thinking about this from a gender perspective. It's amazing when you step back and really kind of look at, well, how were these things put together, these theories? Who put them together? What, what's being said? What's not being said, right? What's, what's in the foreground? Yeah. What's in the background? And so to your point, you know, I, I forget the exact phrasing you use, but you said something to the effect of, step back and really pause and really think about and reflect on what does this mean and what does it not mean? And who does, again, who may not feel welcome because they don't see themselves uh, as that uh, charismatic leader out front, you know, because that's the dominant paradigm. That actually was very eye-opening for me and that on two fronts, I was asked about who were my mentors. Mm. Interestingly, the majority of my mentors in the early phases of my career, I'd say early and mid, were men. Women mentors were more, I do have women mentors currently, but the idea of an East Asian mentor would not have entered my mind. Wow. I'll be very honest. I'm not saying they didn't, they, there certainly are in the field. I'm sure there are many in, in spaces that I don't, uh, you know, in, in China, Singapore, et cetera, that I don't encounter, but in my world, it wasn't until more recently. And it was fascinating to be reached out to Mm. as a mentor because of my intersectionality. It had never occurred to me to seek out mentorship for those reasons, but that is being valued. And so that was incredibly eye-opening for me to just think about how I could be 
deliberate. It was uncomfortable, but then how I could be deliberate in supporting, as you mentioned, those who don't see themselves taking on leadership responsibility and using their influence for good and how you might nudge somebody, bring to their attention an opportunity in a very deliberate way and not assume that they, you know, read the general email uh, or, you know, saw it on social media, et cetera. Right. And how important it is to be considered and uh, in that role or, and feel valued because somebody else thought that you, you could do the job. Exactly. And that's, uh, that was incredibly eye-opening. I'd say that's only been actually the last couple of years that I've been just a bit more deliberate or, and that's when I had those experiences, uh, as I mentioned about representation and mentorship. Well, think about all of the implicit leadership theories that we hold. And of course you have these medical students who are brilliant physicians who are brilliant residents who are brilliant, but many of them are wandering around with these implicit leadership theories that the chief resident is the only person who leads or, you know, whoever supervises them. And that's the rule they have in their head. And you're coming along and tapping someone and saying, you could take this on, you could lead this. And they might not have ever even constructed themselves as someone who could do that work. And it's, it's just, it's tragic when you think of the potential lost. Yes, right? definitely. Add into that then, if I'm not welcome or I don't mm-hmm. feel like I belong or the traditional systems and structures are built in a way that again, foreground and background, certain things that are working me that I have no idea they're even working me. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's complex. And I love that imagery of foreground and background, you know, or like, you know, if you were in theater or, you know, sort of, you know, what's in the wings, right? What's in the, <laughs> and what's on stage? Very different. Yes. Because uh, we have to consider both aspects. Yep. The importance of all those really embedding it into, everyday work, mm-hmm. I think really you could consider that you turn your head and there's something that would benefit from yeah, applying an uh, equity uh, and inclusivity lens yes. to, right? And yes. h- how we could do that better, I think is incredibly important. And providing spaces so that folks do feel courageous so that they can speak up, I think therefore is so important because that it is possible to influence no matter who you are. Yep. And some of that comes from paying attention and actually being curious and uh, speaking up. And mm-hmm. how do we do that in, envir- in, in the environments that we're in and how might we make those environments more welcoming and uh, more inclusive? Yep. Because people are even entering the space Mm-hmm. with a rule in their head that they don't or a yes. rule in their head that they aren't the archetype or a rule in their head that, so are we creating spaces where that's being invited? It's being welcomed. It's being encouraged so that people can find their voice. We have different archetypes of people who are in these leadership roles or influencing in moments but then sitting back down and assuming, you know, the follower role, because that's right. what's yes. appropriate in this situation. 
And citizenship roles too, I think that those are not valued or highlighted enough. I think just be, you know, being a participant and a, a citizen in all of this work is incredibly important. Yep. You know, as we begin to wind down our time, what have you been reading or listening to or streaming that's caught your attention in recent months? It may have to do with what we've just discussed. It may have nothing to do with what we've just discussed, but what's caught your eye in recent times? So I'm currently reading a book by uh, Resma uh, Minicum, I believe, and uh, that's called My Grandmother's Hands. Hmm. And it's about racialized trauma. Hmm. And he talks about how white supremacy gets into the our bodies and not just into our minds hmm. and how our bodies manifest the trauma. And then I've just finished uh, Dare to Lead by uh, Brené Brown, which yeah. I also enjoyed. And so those have been some of my... Um, I, belong, I do belong to a journal club that's multinational, uh, that's fabulous. And we take turns reading uh, different genres of books or topics, I suppose. Okay. And so, so it's not academic journal articles. No, they're <laughs> no, not, that's not the I was triple. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah so I guess it's a book reading. club. Yeah. Book club <laughs> okay. uh, model. Yeah. And um I think the other thing I really have been enjoying and taking an advantage of over the pandemic is the virtual learning, mm. right? We can join oh. events anywhere at schools and universities. Uh, we have several series as part of our Santa Condu community, you know, to find these safe spaces for learning to talk about difficult topics. Mm. I also love um, Chat for Change that is based out of the U.S., Okay. And uh, they are, uh, they also host some uh, wonderful sessions. And it's just um, amazing to be able to, to learn and, you know, really invest some of that time. Yep. And so I've, I've really enjoyed taking advantage of whatever positive aspects of this uh, pandemic, syndemic that we uh, have. Exactly. There, there's a little bit of a mindset there. Where can we find the good? I'm taking a course. My last day is tomorrow for the last six weeks at 6, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been an incredible experience to connect with people from all over the world and continue my learning. And I can be in my pajama pants and learn. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think that opportunity is unique because it means different voices. So, you know, get to meet people from different health professions, uh, patients, families, depending on the context. And it's very relationship centered. And so that's been sort of that wonderful opportunity, both in broadening the network and then also connecting more with your sort of central peer support network, right? And that's been uh, just an incredible opportunity where if you've had a group that might meet, you know, say at a conference once or twice a year and then talk by phone, but now could find a way to connect more regularly and how that's, how enriching that is. Yep. It's really uh, incredible. It is. It is. It makes the world smaller and connects you with a community of, of individuals with like-minded interests that can go well for the world, that can go ill for the world. (laughs) 
Yes, that is true. <laughs> we will yeah. focus on the well for the world. And uh, okay. Uh, it's hard to believe we're coming up on a couple of years of this, but first of all, I want to say thank you for all that you do to keep your community safe and healthy. And uh, I know that the last two years uh, just in, in your work has not been easy. So thank you for that. Number two, thank you for being passionate about leadership. And to your point, success is going to mean something different for everybody, but how do we better prepare people to serve in these roles that can be really, really complex? So thank you for that. And thanks for spending some time with me today and just having this conversation. I'm walking away reflecting on, and I always edit these and and I, I kind of actually listen to the episode for the first time when I edit it, because I don't mm. remember oftentimes what we just discussed. <laughs> I mean, conceptually I do, but I always hear new things and new insights when I re-listen. So I'm really looking forward to going back through and connecting with our conversation here, because I just really appreciate it. Awesome. No, likewise, I think that uh, it's always interesting to hear how others you know, interpret and then may reframe some of what you've been thinking about and that advances things as well. So I appreciate that opportunity. So thank you. Okay. Well, be well. Thank you so much. Likewise. Take care. Bye-bye. There have been some quotes that have really stood out for me as I reflect on this podcast series. One of them was shared by Doug Lindsay, and he was referring to Bob Hogan, who said, who you are is how you lead. And then Dr. Chip Shoba suggested, you know, this work of personal growth and development, it's a mountain without a top. And Ron Riggio, I think it might have been like episode five, said something to the effect of leaders don't do leadership. Leadership is co-created by leaders and followers working together. In the last episode that I released with Brian Barron, he challenged us to think about intent versus impact. And then in this conversation with Dr. Chen, I just was really taken aback at the clarity in which she communicated the sentiment of, it's hard to be well if you don't feel welcomed. And I think that's just a a brilliant and beautiful way of communicating something that people experience, their lived realities. If you are interested in hearing more from Dr. Chen, she will be featured at the healthcare conference put on by the ILA coming up in early May. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, and you can explore that as an opportunity for learning. As always, everyone, thank you so much for checking in. Thank you so much for listening and learning along with me. I hope you are well. Thanks for the work that you do in the world to make it a better place. Take care. Bye-bye. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I'm also on LinkedIn, so let's connect. If you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And now here's my daughter, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.